So, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of everyone an icon, right? And it comes from Genesis 1, where it says that we were made in the image of God. And so we've been talking about what does it look like for us to show up as image bearers in the world around us? What's this idea of dignity? How do we show up personally? We've been talking about this idea of creativity. What does it look like for us to show up as we get our hands on the raw materials of the world and as we do the work that maybe we've um, been called to do or that we've been handed to do, right? It's not always the thing that, we, that uh, wakes us up every morning. Sometimes it's the job that we have to do. And so what does it look like for us to get our hands on the materials of this world? And then we talked about community and how if God is Trinity and we ascribe to that notion that God is three in one, then that means we cannot bear the image of God alone, right? I can't bear the image of God without you all, and you all can't bear the image of God without each other. And I don't know about you guys, but I find a lot of safety and comfort in that and just knowing it's not just on me, it's that we all bear the image of God together. So last week we paused and we asked a really important question. If we are to bear the image of God, if we're already image bearers, then what is God like, right? Because we want to know, like, what are we like in some ways if we're image bearers of God? And so Jason talked us through um, some passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we talked about how God is loving, and God is generous, and God is kind, and God is full of grace, And God claims us, he lays claim on our lives as his image bearers, regardless of our response to him, he lays claim on our lives as beloved sons and daughters. And so how does that change the way we show up in the world as a beloved son or a beloved daughter, right? And then we talked about baptism last week, and we recognize that a lot of us come from different faith traditions here at South Bend City Church. And so this sacrament of baptism has looked different Um, for our families, for our faith communities, for the traditions that we we have found ourselves in over the last few years. And so this morning we're going to hear some stories from a few different friends in our community who have different baptism experiences. Um, But before we do that, I just want to talk about the sacrament of baptism for a minute. So my perspective of the sacraments, you know, we practice the sacrament of baptism, of Eucharist, of confirmation, of dedication, depending on what faith tradition you grow up in or you come from. Um, And from my perspective, the sacraments are almost the ways that we mark our spiritual lives. They're not almost, they are. They're the ways that we mark our spiritual lives, right? So we see baptism as a way that we punctuate this idea that God has laid claim on our lives and that we're willing to say yes to identifying with Jesus. And so next week, for those of you who maybe have not taken that step and are willing to do so, to say yes to this idea that God has laid claim on our lives and that we're identifying with Jesus, you're going to have an opportunity somewhere right around here, I'm guessing. Um, We'll have a pool with water. And so we're going to actually do baptism next week. Jason and Ryan will be back for baptism. So it's happening Thursday, October 10th and Sunday, October 13th. We still have a couple slots available if you're interested in identifying or marking your spiritual life life in that way. If you are not in the pool, because that's something you've already um, done, or it's something you're not yet ready to do, I want you to know that your presence matters, right? Your presence matters if you're sitting in one of these seats, because baptism isn't just for the people in the pool. Baptism is a celebration of all of us as a community that we commit to this idea of renewal, right? That we're washed, that we're cleansed, by the life of Jesus, by identifying with the life of Jesus. And so I want you to know that you're welcome here next week, whether or not you're in the pool. 
So a couple of you know that a few months ago, my family moved here from Southern California. And so the two questions I get asked most often are, why? And it usually sounds like, why did you move here, right? Because Southern California, we got here in the winter. And then the second question that I get asked is, don't you miss the sunshine? And I would say, of course, right? Who doesn't miss sunshine? But here's the deal with eternal sunshine. I realized that all of my memories from our time in California kind of blurred together. Because when you are used to the seasons, I'm an East Coast girl, I grew up in Pennsylvania. When you're used to the seasons, you realize you attach the changing of the seasons to your memories. And so you mark your memories, you mark your life by the changing of the seasons. And so it wasn't just a memory for me to think back to my 35 years on the East Coast. Um, and then we spent four in California before we showed up here in South Bend. Um, but I started to think about, it wasn't just a memory, it was the memory of were we inside or were we outside? Were we wearing shorts or were, did we have jackets on? Was it football season? Was it ice hockey season? Was it baseball season, right? Were we drinking iced coffee or hot coffee, right? How did the air smell? These are all of the kinds of things that we attach to the memories of our lives. And so then when you live in the land of eternal sunshine, you have to find a different way to mark those memories. And I would say Southern California does have two seasons, one of which which we did not experience. One is a rainy season, and it did, we did not have a rainy season in the four years that we were there, which was actually really unfortunate. Um, but the other season is June gloom. So for one month, every summer in California, in Southern California, there, the coastal layer um, acts like a heavy fog, and it lasts from about um, through the night until about 12 or 1 in the, in the afternoon. And so it just is one month of slowing because you wake up and the sunshine is buried behind the clouds for a little while and it's cooler, it's maybe a little misty because it's this coastal air, so it comes with a lot of condensation, not rain, but condensation. And you start to mark your life by June gloom, right? Whatever happens in June, you remember because it's also June gloom. And here's the deal. Maybe this is a stretch for you, but in my mind it seems to make sense. Just like we, march, we mark our lives by the changing of the seasons, I think that we mark our lives by the sacraments that we experience in our faith traditions. And so next week, for the people who are choos choosing to be baptized, or for those of us who show up to celebrate that, we're marking a season for our church family and for the individuals who are choosing to be baptized. Now, like I said before, this has looked very different for a lot of us, and so I'm going to invite some friends up this morning, guys, if you would be willing to join me up here, and we're going to talk about what does baptism look like, right? Last week, we talked about what does baptism mean for our community, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, I would encourage you to listen to the podcast. Um, Jason talked about why we practice baptism the way we do here at South Bend City Church, but this morning, my friends are here, and we're going to talk about what this tradition has looked like for several of us. So I've asked them if they would first introduce themselves, and this morning we're actually going to start with you, Zach. Surprise, surprise. You good with that? Uh, yes. Okay, so why don't you introduce yourself for us? Hi, y'all. <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, I'm Zachary Gillis, but I'm better known as Zach, and I'm on the pastoral staff here at South Bend City Church. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about, like, how did you get here? Oh, well, um, I got to the Michiana area about 10 years ago for undergrad. I went to Bethel, right up the street. And um, after undergrad, I worked there for five years. Then I left, and I came here. 
And it's been fabulous. It's been absolutely wonderful. That's awesome. And Zach is recovering, running on a few hours of sleep. He was in Godspell at the Lang Lab this I week. Was, it was yes. amazing for those of you who didn't get to see it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was great. Karen, how about for you? Can you introduce yourself? I'm Karen Slager, and my husband Paul and I moved to the area um, in 2001, two, two weeks before 9-11, so it's kind of blazed on our memory. Um, and we, for all of that time, had great experiences at two local churches. Uh, most recently, uh, we were at Granger Community and heard the story from Jason about being led to start South Bend City Church. We had recently moved into the city from Granger and we're living very close by here and love the idea of being part of a city faith community. So we, it, it was one of the um, few times in our lives together that we knew immediately that God was wanting us to do this. We just kind of felt like we had one heart and one mind that we needed to be a part of this faith community. That's great. And you're in a new season. Can you share a little bit about your new season? Yes, we are in a very new season of life. My husband and I both just retired a couple of months ago. And when you, you talk about seasons of your life or the rhythms of your lives, you know, think about, I challenge you to think about how much of that has been dictated your entire life by either getting up every morning and going to school or getting up every morning and going to work. So that rhythm has just been kind of pulled out from underneath us. So we're just kind of at a new season where we're trying to explore what that new rhythm is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Karen. How about for you, John? Good morning. I'm John Peisker. My wife Lynn and I moved to South Bend about five years ago from central Illinois, Champaign, Illinois. Um, a job brought me here, and so we have transitioned into this community, and part of that transition that's really helped us with that has been South Bend City Church. Uh, we've been part of this community, uh, the South Bend City Church, for since really the beginning, much like Karen and Paul, that uh, from the, the day that we were having experimental gatherings, we attended those and then transitioned to Wednesday nights and then Tuesday nights and then, you know, full-on Sunday, like usual church. Uh, and uh, But it, with the vision that, that Jason had for this was resonated with Lynn and I in terms of uh, a church that's planted in the community, working in the community, reaching out to the community just right where we're uh, doing ministry. So that's been a big draw for us. Uh, my work is as uh, I build roads, uh, work for a contractor that builds roads in Northwest Indiana and uh, have, have done that for the last uh, 25 years. So the transition to South Bend, uh, while while a much different situation has been kind of consistent in that that's still my job. Enjoy that very much. We, um, when Lynn and I aren't uh, working, we're both, um, she's attending grad school at Notre Dame. And also we enjoy traveling very much. We, uh, particularly if it involves going to visit our, one of our three adult children. That's awesome, thanks. So on Thursday night when John shared about um, just doing some the business that he does, he already got asked if he's responsible for fixing the potholes in South Bend. And just to uh, warn you off, he is not responsible, so no questions afterwards, okay? <laughs> All right. I'm Tanya Wheland, and I uh, moved to this area when I married my husband, 
Kip, who is over there. Um, we actually don't live in the South Bend area, but we commute here a half an hour um, to this community. From where? From Middlebury area. Um, yeah, so there's a whole tables group over there that has been really important to us and community and building community and helping us feel like this is a family. Um, but by trade, I am a psychotherapist um, during the week. And so I am very familiar with um, hurting people and people um, struggling with doubt and a lot of hard things. And I felt like this place was a safe place, not only for the people that I was sitting with, but for me. So um, we got here through a mutual friend of Jason's um, who said, I think this would be a place that would resonate with you. And it was. And we have been here since century center brick days. That's awesome. Thank you. So I've asked these guys if they would just um, consider a little a bit of sharing about what baptism looked like in their faith tradition. So what did it look like in their faith tradition and what did it mean to them personally? Um, so actually, we'll start with Karen this time. Karen, you grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. Do you mind just talking a little bit about what baptism looked like and what it meant to you? I did. I, I grew up as a Southern Baptist, really blessed to have parents who raised me in a really strong, wonderful faith tradition. And um, at the end of every service, um, we would sing an invitation, um, hymns like Just As I Am. Um, I have a special place in my heart for hymns. Um, but the pastors would invite you to come forward and um, accept Jesus as your Savior, and that would be followed by baptism. So when I was eight years old, I made that profession of faith and was baptized. The, um, the the front of the church had a baptistry up at the front, so you literally in front of the entire congregation, and that was not easy for me because I'm very kind of quiet, don't want to, not being in front of a lot of people, so um, it was kind of a scary decision to make, but then you walk down into the baptistry, into the water, and the pastors baptize you by immersion. Okay. Okay. And so what was your, what happened? So you got baptized and then, and then what, was there anything else surrounding the baptism for you, the experience? Well, I guess for baptism for our family has been interesting because um, then that Southern Baptist girl decided to marry a very strong Catholic man. And so our families all went uh, crazy, like, uh oh, what is this going to look like? <laughs> um, and we made it work. And, um, but then once we began to have children, we realized we needed to find a faith tradition that we could raise our family in and both of us feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So we tried the Baptist church, that didn't work. We tried the Catholic church, that didn't work. And so we landed on the United Methodist Church because there were elements of each of the, uh, for each of us that were very comfortable in, in terms of their beliefs and the practice of the service. So we went from a baptism by immersion environment to the United Methodist Church where infants are baptized. So our three children were baptized as infants, mm -hmm. um, which, which was fine. It was just an, a realignment of my thinking. Um, but then when we were here and were a part of the congregation at Granger Community Church, our daughter decided that she wanted to follow in the tradition of baptism by immersion. So when she was a student at the University of Notre Dame, um, she decided that she it was really important to her. She was on a very, very... Um, meaningful part of her faith journey. And she just wanted to take that step for herself to say publicly, I want to follow Christ. 
and I want to do this by immersion and love the, the imagery and the symbolism of, of going down into the water and being cleansed and raised to walk in a new life. So Chelsea has um, followed in that tradition. So we have an eight-year-old, a 21-year-old, and three in the family who are baptized as infants. Okay, okay. And you guys have figured out how to navigate that tension of two different faith traditions and what the sacraments look like in those traditions. Love it. All right, John, how about for you? I grew up in the Lutheran church, and the baptism is a sacrament in the Lutheran church. Uh, it is by infant baptism, so uh, sprinkling as, as, an, as an infant. That's the way that I was baptized. Um, my father has uh, kind of has explained it to me this way. He says the theology that, that the Lutheran church teaches is really kind of like when you build a new house and you wire the house. So the house has essentially everything that's been put in, into that for it to receive the power. And so that's, that's the, the reason that they look at infant baptism, so that you're baptized into a community of believers, and then it's really the responsibility of those who are with you. So your parents, your family, godparents often, if, if, um, that, that are really charged with taking, taking you there. In other words, teaching you about faith and about Jesus and about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a, um, has, has resonated with me for a long time because it's really about God. I mean, it's, we, don't, right. we don't do anything. We haven't earned anything as an infant, but even as an adult to be baptized, we're, we're, it's not like it's something that we do. It's really all about God, and that's the, that's the theology behind the infant baptism in the Lutheran Church. Well, kind of as my faith journey is, was, was grow, what grew, we did much like you were mentioning earlier on, the, bat, the sacrament of confirmation. So it, as an eighth grader, um, you know, I stood before the church and basically reaffirmed my baptismal vows, sort of making it more my own. Uh, continued my growth, my spiritual growth into my, um, my 30s or 40s and uh, was left the Lutheran church due to a variety of circumstances, but went to a church that was non-denominational. Which was a big deal because you are in the line of a few Lutheran pastors. Yeah, that's right. right? Um, yeah. Third generation didn't follow through, so. Sure. Uh, no disappointment, though. <laughs> Um, but I, when we left that, left that church, the new church that we were part of, and then not that church, their kind of the way that they practiced baptism was immersion as an adult, that you make a profession of faith before, a, a, you know, fellow believers. And in order to be part of the leadership with that church, you had to essentially be baptized as an adult through immersion. And I really struggled with God about that decision because I was seeing it as, boy, did my first one not take? Was I somehow not really baptized? Or did this not mean what I thought it mean? Or do I have to throw away all the traditions of, of what I have believed essentially for most of my, well, for all of my life? Mm -hmm. And as I wrestled with God over that decision, what I found was that 
really ultimately what it was about was just surrender. Me surrendering, obeying God's call. For in that time, that's what was important. So I, as I've looked back on, you know, baptism, I, I've, you know, very, you know, people much smarter than me have fought for years over, you know, what infant baptism, sure. you know, baptism as an adult, and yeah. they've not been able to figure it out, sort it out completely. So, you know, I just have come to appreciate essentially both forms sure. of baptism and say, what, what can we find that's unifying in that in either experience? And what I find that's unifying in that is that it's really about God. It's not about us, whether it's an infant or it's an adult. Mm-hmm. It's just the decision. It's the decision in one case is made for you, and then the, in the other case, you make it. But really, it's about surrendering to God. Mm-hmm. And for you, your immersion experience was out of obedience to the church, um, maybe rules or whatever, of what it meant right. to it, serve you are, in that You're certainly able to participate in the church in every single way except yeah. for church leadership. And sure. if you wanted to be part of the church leadership, you had to have been... Sure. baptized in immersion. And so rather than fight that, just decided that, you know, that God's call on us was to be a part of that community of believers. And so we just made the decision to be baptized as adults. Both my, both Lynn and I were, she had been raised in the Catholic church and so mm-hmm. was, was baptized as an infant as well. But we both together at that time felt that was what God was leading us to. That's great. For those of you who did not grow up in the church, when you hear us talk about God's call, this really is just like what is the impression that we experience from God? You know, sometimes we feel those pushes and those pulls in life. And so when we feel that, especially as it relates to some spiritual decisions, it's easy for us to say, to describe it as God's call. So, Tanya, how about for you? You grew up in the Serbian Orthodox Church, which is well, so interesting. this is an interesting story. <laughs> because when you asked me about my baptism experience, and we had that conversation, um, I, I was under the impression that... Um, all of my siblings, including me, were baptized into the Serbian Orthodox Church. And um, I asked my mom about it this week, and it turns out that my other siblings were. But I was baptized into a Presbyterian church. You're like, hello, last child, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> like, How did that happen, Mom? <laughs> so uh, my dad was Serbian, and at the time that I was an infant, they were going through... Uh, journey of their own, Mm -hmm. and they were leaving the Serbian Orthodox Church, um, and they left the city, and they were going through a lot of changes. So, um, and they really felt like it was um, an act of giving their children to God, that um, making a claim for God, on Mm -hmm. the behalf of God. Um, And I quite frankly, didn't think much about it growing up. It wasn't um, central to our conversations in our family. Um, We were no longer attending a Serbian Orthodox church. Um, We actually went to a Methodist church, ended up there. Um, But when I became a young adult, um, I started having experiences of... um, I would, I would describe them now as experiences of the divine, experiences of knowing that this, whatever was holding the world together, mm-hmm. um, was also holding me together mm-hmm. and was interested in, in me having a relationship. So um, because I became convinced of that and I was, going, I was in college and I was um, part of a faith community that practiced immersion, um, it really was a declaration on my part of saying, okay, from, from now on, 
I want my life to reflect this with Godness mm-hmm. that I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about um, anything that I was doing or earning. It was a little hard for my parents because they didn't understand. Um, they thought, why would you do that? <laughs> so when I approached them and said, you know, I'm going to be doing this at my church, um, they had a lot of questions and thought maybe I was questioning what they had done. Um, but sure. they, they were willing to talk about it, and they were very gracious, and they came. So they were there, um, part of that community, when I was immersed. As, I think I was early 20, early maybe 20. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my experience of kind of um, making it my own mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and working through the history with my parents of that. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. How about for you, Zach? You grew up in the Missionary Baptist Church. I did. Tell us what that means. Okay. So... I did grow up in the Missionary Baptist Church. My father is a pastor, so, you know, it's, it's pretty ironic. Sometimes I pinch myself that now I'm technically a clergyman because, you know, people always thought it was just so cute. Oh, you're going to be just like your daddy on the stage serving the Lord. And here we are. Praise God. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> But in the, um, in the Missionary Baptist Church, we're super similar in regards to um, a confession of faith. There was an invitation to discipleship at the end of every service, um, and you were either Christian experience, which meant that you were going to join the church, um, you know, join the congregation, and then there was a candidate for baptism, and that's when you had to go up and confess. And I was seven um and i had to i stood up and i walked up you know when my dad called everybody to go up there my sister and i did it at the same time were you getting elbows from family members Mm -hmm. or no totally your decision no it was and i think that that was um that's one thing that i truly appreciate about how i was raised my parents um never forced Jesus or my sister and I, I mean, because it was just a part of our lives, you know, as um, people would call us the first family of the church. Um, That's just what we did, you know. So um, there really wasn't any cajoling or anything like that. I was seven and I was just like, hmm, so they're teaching me about this Jesus dude. And he loves me so much that he died for me. And if I have that love for him as well, I get to see him in heaven. Cool. And I just came, you know, and it was just as simple as that. Like, I distinctly remember going through that thought process, and that's been over 20 years ago. But um, it was baptism by immersion. Um, I was baptized the first Sunday in July of 97, and that was our family reunion, so it was lit, baby. <laughs> church was on fire everybody was there and it was my paternal grandmother's um birthday week so it was just celebrations wow. on celebrations on celebrations <laughs> so um so yeah um, my dad was able to baptize me and it was and it was a really really special moment it was it was a special moment when zach first told me that i was like a family reunion weekend tell me a little bit more about that because i'm picturing like my own you know i grew up very germanic so like the Mennonite roots, very subdued family reunion. And so Zach was like, no. No. (laughs) This is an event. Like, our family reunion is in Chicago next year, and we have been meeting since 1908. 
And it goes back to my great, great, great grandparents who were slaves. And one day they were like, they wanted their 14 kids to come together and just reunite, you know? So every other year we would, we would have a reunion and now, yeah, it's 112, 110, 112. That's incredible. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So one more question. I've asked these guys to um, just tell us a quick snippet of how their life um, how Jesus has been central to seeing themselves as an image bearer or as an icon. And so, uh, John, I thought if you're okay, we'll start with sure. you. Happy to. Um, I think the, where this question refl- reflects for me is back to one of the answers to the second part, which is grace. Hmm. Um, it, it's, it's informed my understanding of grace even deeper to be an image bearer of Christ is that you know, everyone, as you mentioned, as we, as we look into the eyes of those around us, we see that we, ho- we want to see, we should see, we should look for that image because the differences that divide us are so great, but why can't we look more into what keeps us connected? Mm-hmm. And not just as believers, but really because we're all image bearers, so it extends beyond that. So I think what this has helped me think through this image bearer concept is to just be more grace-filled. I've been given grace. I've been shown grace beyond grace. Mm-hmm. We all have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so why can't I be more like that, be more like Jesus in that way where, we, where I don't look at others and see what differences I have with them, but it's really about how can I, how can I find the things that we hold in common so that we can have a, a, a better discussion, a better relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And you get a lot of chances to do that every day, right? In your position. Yes. Yes, I do. We, we, our, our company employs about 450 people. And, you know, so that's, that's a lot of people that I get to deal with that I need to remind myself some days more than others that these are image bearers. Mm -hmm. They're not the problem that are coming to me with whatever it is that they've got on their mind that I need to try to solve for them. It's more about looking at them as image bearers and trying to see what it is that I can, how I can help them treat them like Jesus would treat them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Karen, how about for you? Well, for me, two, two things. First is, um, it's kind of simplistic, but when I say, how does, how has Jesus been central? I, I mean, Jesus gave us an example. He gave me an example and it's, you know, um, the old, what would Jesus do movement? I mean, there's so much truth in that to me. It's just as simple as looking to Jesus and to say, how would he have handled the situation? What would he have done? And I think more than anything over the last, I would say, eight years of my life, I feel like God has been really impressing upon my heart um, the need to just love and love mm-hmm. and love and love and love more and not judge, but love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so baptism for me was Jesus's example. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good enough for Jesus to be baptized. Um, and then when Jesus was preparing to leave the disciples, he said, go baptize, teach. So I love that, that, that image of baptism that Jesus gave us. And um, I appreciate that he gave us that example. Mm-hmm. But also through, as I've shared, we've been through some different faith traditions. In each of them, I think I've added a, a richness to my faith walk that I hadn't experienced before. And one that my husband Paul and I took away actually came from teaching a confirmation class. 
So we had a bunch of eighth grade students in our class, and we were exposed to a new concept that we'd never really encountered called prevenient grace. Yeah, tell us, a, tell us what that is. And it was just such an, an, a, an amazing, warm, wonderful realization that I kind of knew, but to put a name on it was interesting, that God's been a part of my life for a long, long, long time, from the beginning, from before the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, so in other words, it didn't happen night to day. It didn't, when I was baptized as an eight-year-old, it didn't mean that I was a Christian one day and it wasn't one and then became one. It's that I felt God in my life pulling me to him, wooing me, mm -hmm. just drawing me close, extending grace over and over and over again and mm -hmm. forgiving me, but continuing to love me. Kind of the picture of the Israelites as they were stumbling through the Old Testament, but that he was just present in our lives. So for Paul and for myself, that was so important because we'd come from such different faith communities, but it kind of boiled down to saying, God saying, I've got you, mm -hmm. I'm drawing you close. I love you. Scripture saying, even if one of you wandered, I will go after you. Yeah. We just love that image. So Jesus has been there every day mm -hmm. on the journey, on the walk, helping me take each tiny little baby step, forgiving me when I took a step backwards, and continuing to pull me in the right direction. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Karen. All right, Zach, how about for you? How would you answer this question? Hmm. Well, for me, um, gosh, Karen, we're so much alike. Hymns are important to me as well. And um, I, think of, I think of one of them, um, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Y'all probably heard me ad-lib it when I was saying, Oh, How I Love Jesus, Oh, How I Love Jesus, Oh, How I Love Jesus, because he first loved me. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I try to hang on to as, as I've grown as an adult is just that basic moment, that basic childlike faith that I had when I was seven, when I was like, this man loved me so much that he gave his life for me, and I just have to say yes. And I think one thing in my adulthood is that I try to stay away from the minutia of things. I mean, not that, you know, getting in the nitty gritty and getting down and dirty with all the stuff is just, you know, necessary sometimes, because it is, but I made sure to never um, lose the big picture of love. Um, and because Jesus loves me so much, that lets me know that um, I am an icon and everyone else here is an icon. And I want to reflect that love to other people in mm -hmm. my words and in my actions. Um, so, so most definitely a lot of the times I just, I just have that love at the forefront of my mind. And... Um, you know, remember how much these hymns and this music speaks to me. Um, and those are, those are huge reminders. Love it. Yeah. yeah. It's really beautiful. Thank you. All right, Tanya, how about for you? Um, I would say um, Jesus being central to me um, has been mostly about a friendship with him. And I'm, I'm a very different person than I was when I was immersed I have um, different ideas. I have a different theology. I have, um, 
I have a lot that's different, different experiences, but what has stayed the same has been this, um, this idea that he, God is with me and that um, Jesus as the person, I used to understand him as, as the person in flesh, but also now a bigger understanding of him as the Christ, as the one who goes before all and holds all things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and combining those things, it's hard not to see yourself as something uh, sacred mm-hmm. when, he, when, when you see him like that. So yeah. um, even though my theology has changed a lot and um, how I see the Bible has changed a lot, how I see God's love through the person of Jesus has not changed mm-hmm. and that um, that has stayed consistent mm-hmm. um, the whole time and, and transformative. It continues to transform. Mm-hmm. I assume that I'm not going to be the same person 10 years from now than I am today, yeah. but um, that's how Jesus informs how I see myself. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Can we give these guys a hand for sharing their story this morning? You know, I had a friend who knew what we were talking about this morning, that there were uh, just a variety of experiences, and they said, aren't you opening up a can of worms by talking about different experiences? And I go back to what Jason said last week, right? That if we have questions and if we have doubts and if our experiences of baptism have been different, well, then join the club because that is what this community is about. It's a safe place for us to ask questions and to have doubts and to wrestle with how does our faith tradition of the past inform the way we show up today and the way we worship together today. So I love that, um, that some of the stories that were shared, uh, you hear this theme of grace, right? And you hear this theme of love and and of generosity. And that's the exact way that we defined grace last week, is as God's love and God's generosity. And so in keeping up with the rhythm of the last few weeks, we have a meditation and a reflection for you this morning. Um, And we'll post these on social media so you'll have them um, to meditate and reflect on as well. But our reflection question this morning is, how does your story reflect the idea that you identify with the life of Jesus? And this is with or without baptism, right? We're moving towards baptism next week. But how does your story reflect the idea that you identify with the life of Jesus? And then our meditation is a verse that often goes with baptism because it's this idea of of being washed, of being made new. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5.17.